If given the choice, would you prefer something new or something old? For example, if I told you that you could have a brand new cell phone, right now, right here, you could have the latest model, the latest technology, it would be modern, it would be new, it would be shiny, and it could be yours. Or you can keep that old one that you have in your pocket. What would you choose? Well, I think all of us, hands down, we would pick the new one because newer is better, right? And we see this time and time again. We want the things that are new. We want things that are modern. We want things that are, that are innovative. And so when we look at the church today, we see this philosophy entering in and young men and women are looking at God and looking at his word and they're re-examining it because they're wondering, is this message, is it really applied to me? Is it applicable? Is it relevant for the era in which we live? These values in our Christian faith, are they archaic? Uh, these principles, these traditions that are being passed down through the ages in the church, are they outdated? Are they even culturally significant today? And we have a generation now that are re-examining and questioning everything simply because the Bible has an older message. The message of Christ is an older message. But does that mean that it's any less relevant? The Bible, uh, with its message of values and traditions that have been passed down uh, by the apostles on everything from how to receive eternal life, how to know God, to understanding how he wants us to be holy and how he wants us to be separate from the world. We can look at that and we could say, well, these principles passed down from the apostles, they're just not relevant anymore because they're not for our culture. They're not for today. They're, they're for a different day. You know, the Apostle Paul, he didn't really understand. And so I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be the odd guy out. I want something new and fresh and modern. I want something that is innovative in our faith. We want to follow Jesus a new way. We want to have a new philosophy. And all of this now is affecting the younger generation because we're taught that newer is better. But where does that leave the gospel? Where does that leave the Great Commission? Where does that leave living a holy and sanctified life, being separate from the world? All of that, where does that leave these principles that the church has upheld for 2,000 years? And should we just abandon them now because they're old? <laughs> because they're not from this generation? Should we re-examine, do the younger generation, do they have it right that we should be kind of rethinking this? Or maybe we need to conserve the truth. Maybe there is something in the Word of God, in the doctrine that we believe in, in the principles, in the traditions that we are upholding. Maybe there is something in these things that needs to be protected. In the context of the Great Commission, how are we going to go into the regions beyond and to do our part if the very foundation of the church is eroding before our eyes right here in the United States? We need to take time to ensure and to safe keep the gospel, to safe keep the principles and the values of our Christianity so that we can pass them down to the next generation, or there will be no Great Commission in years to come. I'm Damon Matachero, 
Let's Talk Missions. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm glad that you're tuning in and I'm hoping everything is going well with you uh, wherever you're listening in from. And on that note, um, you know, sometime maybe chime in, connect and write a little comment saying, hey, so-and-so listening in from, uh, and then maybe indicate which town you're from or which part of the USA. We would love to hear from you. We would love some interaction to know that people are, that there's actually people on the other side of the screen <laughs> that are, are listening and benefiting from our experience as we talk about the Great Commission. So this week has been a really good week. We have gotten a whole lot done, a lot of work with the church here in Chapada. We've had some good things going on in the village. A couple of answers to prayer with uh, the radio broadcast that we're trying to get off the ground. Uh, we had some fundraising that we were doing and the money came in for all of the equipment that we're going to be buying and hopefully this week or next week uh, that order will go out. Uh, yesterday I found out that uh, either a church or an individual uh, anonymously gave enough money to pay for a whole year of broadcasting. So things like this, they are just so encouraging to know that people are there who want to help God's word to be published so that, so that people can know God, so that they can have a relationship with him. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here, uh, here in sub-Saharan Africa, in Zambia. We want to tell people about Jesus. And different platforms, uh, like a radio, the radio ministry, is a great way for us to take advantage and to give people the gospel. It's going to benefit up to one million people in Chapada and throughout the eastern province. I mean, that's a great opportunity to have that, that big of a platform. We are thrilled and we cannot wait. And we will update you with how that goes. But we need to get the truth out there. You know, as Christians in the United States, we do well with getting the truth out there. Uh, we do well with publishing truth. But the real question is, how are we doing with conserving truth? And that's where we are today with the topic at hand. Because we want the next generation to be empowered. We want to safe keep the gospel, to safe keep these biblical values, so that when we pass it on to the next generation, that they accept it as God's word as coming directly from the Lord so that they will continue with it on their own, of their own accord, um, and they'll have a heart to just want to please God and to continue the faith. That is the goal. But how are we going to reach that goal? What do we have to do? What do we have to know about today and the world in which we're living? Well, we do know one thing. The call to follow Jesus has never been more under attack than it is today. And that is a truth for sure. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So these words were kind of predicted or prophesied, however you want to look at it, by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. 
And he's talking about this issue this, that's really festering and plaguing the church from within. He spoke of the last days and how there would be people who would not tolerate the truth. And surely, that is today. We live in a day of no toleration for the truth. The truth is subjective. The truth is really whatever you want it to be. However you want to interpret truth, that is your truth. You need to create your own truth, which is not true. <laughs> but that's the world today. People want to listen to influencers that just want to tell them whatever they want to hear, uh, outside the church and within. And so young people today are looking for a feel-good Jesus that offers them self-help, self-dependence, and self-gratification. This is the message that people want. When they look at the Jesus of the Bible, when they look at the values that have been kept and protected for 2,000 years, a lot of people and young people in the church are saying, hey, whoa, wait a second here. That's not for me. That's not what I signed up for. That is the old message, the less tolerant message, the biased, legalistic, judgy kind of message. That's not the Jesus we want. We want something different. We want something that's going to help us to be successful. Paul described a church that would be bored with biblical teaching and apathetic towards the purpose of the Bible in their life. And that really is a sad condition that apathy, where people just don't care. They don't care about sound doctrine. They don't care about the values that have been kept through the ages by Christians from one generation to the next. There's no care about that. People only care about that God moment that they get, that experience when they go to church and being entertained and, and having that worship, that modern form of worship, and that, that just that feeling that comes with you know, the praise team and this and that. And, and if you have a praise team, well, then heads off to you. That, that's great. I'm not, uh, the episode today is not on the praise team, <laughs> but it is on this modern trend where they want Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. They want Christianity, but they don't want the Christianity that's been passed down through the ages. They want this new and modern Christianity. And we need to safe keep some of these older ways. These older ways, it doesn't really sound that attractive, but it's God's ways. We're talking about the values that God values. We're talking about the traditions of the apostles. We're talking about the inspired word of God, the full counsel of God, the complete Bible. Not just taking parts that we like and parts that agree with our culture, but Accepting the Bible as God's word and accepting God for who he is as the supreme one. He's the one that tells us how we should live. And if he says, hey, you can only be saved through my son, Jesus Christ, well, then we go through Christ. If there's no other name outside the name of Jesus, well, then that is what the message needs to be about. The message needs to be about Christ and him alone. If, if God says, listen, be ye holy, for I am holy, as we grow in that new faith and as we try to, uh, to adopt this Christian lifestyle, well, then we need to be holy. Why? Not because it's you know, new or old, but because it's from the Bible. And that's something that we really need to understand right off, is that we cannot 
simply look at the Bible through a cultural lens. I know that's hard because we look at everything through a cultural lens, but our culture is constantly changing and we cannot understand and see whether something is legit or not based on whether it's culturally accepted because the world will not accept these biblical truths. The world will not accept God or the Bible. People today, they want a message from the church that's entertainment-driven, regardless of its doctrinal accuracy. And that's what we see. That's what we see, because young men and women want a new, more modern Jesus. They want a new and a modern approach to their faith. Now, I'm not saying that we cannot take the Bible and make it applicable for today's generation. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying when we change the Bible or when we weaken the gospel, or if we weaken the calling on our life for daily sanctification, when we take that and we distort the word of God so that it fits the culture, we, we just kind of, we ram, the, we ram it in so that it fits and so it's not offensive. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the message that God has given. One of the most disheartening lines in the word of God is that one in 2 Timothy 4.4 4, where Paul said, and, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. I mean, how disheartening to see a generation that is turning away their ears from truth. I mean, it doesn't matter if you present it or if you don't. They just don't want it. They don't want to accept it because they want something new. And that is what our society has conditioned us to believe is that new should be accepted. New should be looked at as right and better. And old is something that should be disdained. Old is not efficient. Old is not to be desired. And so when, when the world takes the church and says, hey, look at that message. Look at that, that Bible that you have. That is old. That is counter-cultural. You're going against the culture. You're going against what we're trying to build. But God says, yeah, but you'll be accepted by me. You see, young people today, they want to follow a new style of church with a modern and updated message. They want a new method of living their faith that doesn't go against the culture. I mean, who wants to be the oddball, right? Who wants to be ostracized? Young people want a new way to share their faith that doesn't offend other people's personal beliefs. Now, I don't believe that we should go out there and purposefully try to offend people. I know some people who do that. I think that we need to be sensitive to other people and we need to be respectful. But the, the gospel as a message just in itself will offend people and there's nothing that can be done about that. Because like I said earlier, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We're talking about Jesus and how he is the only way. People today, young men and women in the church, want a modern form of discipleship that doesn't require sacrifice. So we see a fulfillment of Paul's words when he, he says the days will come. Well, the days have come. I mean, how many people have you watched online, uh, young men and women who grew up in church, who were taught by loving parents that guided them in the scriptures, that went to uh, doctrinally sound churches who were raised right, and they go online and they are just 
in a tirade over all of these grievances and all the ways in which they were offended and all the ways that they were hurt and hindered. And, and they just go on. They're, they're victim, they victimize themselves because of all of these different things. And they attack the church, its values, and the words and the teachings that Christians should be trying to protect and conserve. You know, I see it all the time. And it's just as sad each time I watch it. On Facebook, I see these young men and women, and they, they go on these videos saying, you know, I'm so glad that uh, I am no longer bound by rules. And they go on listing all of these perceived rules that they felt oppressed by. I'm so glad I have no rules. I'm so glad that I'm free to follow Jesus as I see fit. I'm so glad that I am no longer surrounded by people who say one thing and live differently. Hypocrites, basically. I'm so glad that I have liberty in Christ and I'm no longer restricted by legalism. Okay, and, and this is the outcry that we're seeing from so many people online. These people that are claiming they've been oppressed, they've been just run over by this false form of Christianity. So, listen, is there an abuse of power sometimes in the church for people to, to offer a complaint about? Sure, I, I've seen it before. Sometimes there is an abuse of power, but does the exception prove the rule? Does that mean that if a pastor, one pastor in a situation has an issue, does that mean that every pastor is guilty of the same thing? Does that mean that every church, should we just cancel the role of a pastor now because there was an abuse of power? Are there some pastors that are too authoritative? Sure. Yeah. In every field that you go to, there are some fields that are run by authoritative people. It's our nature. Again, I want to go back to, what do, does that mean that all pastors are bad? Are there hypocrites in the church? A lot of people, I, I really find it interesting, um, even in the village. I mean, I go out in the middle of nowhere in the village, and I find that there's a lot of people missing in church. And I go visit them. I'm like, hey, we missed you at church. And they're like, well, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't want to go to church and see these people because I know that they're hypocrites. And I know that how they're living. And so I'm staying back from church because I don't want to see them. I'm thinking, I'm like, listen, who are you going to church for? Are you going to church for them? Or are you going to church for God, for your relationship with God? Every church has people that they say one thing, they live differently. We are all in some form hypocrites. Now, should we be growing? Should we be getting victory over that? Absolutely. And should there be a spirit of hypocrisy in the church? No, not at all. But are you going to find that people are flawed? Yes. And is there a perfect church out there? No. <laughs> we are all sinners. We all are still trying to make our way to follow Jesus, to, to do better, to be more. But you're not going to find the perfect church. There are hypocrites. There are some bad pastors. Um, there are some churches, you know, you say, well, do some churches have higher standards than what the Bible even says? Sure. But you have to have a line somewhere, right? So, what did Neil Armstrong say? He said, aim high. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it be better to err in the side of trying to do more for God, uh, to err in the side of trying to be a more sanctified person than the opposite of that? So that is my question here. What is the alternative? 
If we're going to complain about different pastors, if we're going to complain about the church, about people in the church, about the standards in the church, about the theme, I mean, what is the alternative? Should we have no standards? Should we have no authority? Should we all, like I talked about a few weeks ago, should we all just go under a bridge and sing Kumbaya? Uh, should we have no doctrinal stand? Should we just worship God and, and sing and sway and, and just leave the Bible for someone else? Should we have no level of sanctification at all? Uh, and so I understand there are legitimate complaints that need to be addressed, and there is room for that. But as a whole, how do we just attack the entire institution of the church? How do we attack and say that the church is flawed, the church needs to be redone, rethought, reimagined, because how it is is just destructive. That's not a message that is going to lead people to a closer walk with Christ. You're tearing down the church if that is what you're thinking. And so we need to understand, yeah, Paul talked about it. The days will come. The days are going to come when people are going to turn away from the truth. And we need to be prepared for that. We're not going to be able to help everyone. And if you are one of those people who are thinking, rethinking, I should say, your own faith and your own walk with Christ, and you're wondering, is this message, is this gospel, this life, is it worth it? Let me tell you, I may be 40 years old, but I can say it is worth it. And no, it's not an easy life. But the call that we have to follow Jesus is not an easy call. And when we look at this life that we are living and the sacrifice that Christ is calling us to, we have to make that decision. Is it worth it? Is he worth it? But please understand that our faith should not go hand in hand with the world. We should be different. When you look at our core beliefs, they are vastly different from the core beliefs of the world. And if we are similar, if we are connecting with the world hand in hand, well, then that should be a sign. That should, you know, that should throw up some red flags because we should be different as the children of God, not because of our, you know, being antagonistic or being argumentative or because we want to fight with everyone, but because of our love for God, because of our love for people, because of the doctrine that we believe, because of the values that we are upholding because of the principles of sanctification that we're trying to live out and to pass on to the next generation. All of this needs to be, it needs to be cared for. It needs to be maintained. You know, the, the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not endorsing a good work salvation, but rather it's saying that we need to cultivate the salvation that we received by grace through faith. Salvation is a free gift. We receive it freely from God. But once you have it, you can't just let it sit. You need to cultivate it. You need to try to develop that walk with God. And as you grow and as you learn, you're going to have a closer relationship with him. But being conservative is not old-fashioned. It's biblical. You know, we're talking about conserving truth. A lot of people are turned off towards that word conservative, conservatism, all of that. People look at it really, really bad. They, they get these bad feelings when they think of that word. But let me read you another verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going back a couple of chapters now from chapter 4. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, I want to read verse 13 and verse 14. Paul said, writing to Timothy, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. So what are we talking about? We're talking about conserving. We need to conserve truth. We need to protect truth for that next generation. It's a biblical mandate, just like going and preaching the gospel. Well, we need to hold fast the faith that we have. Paul said, hold fast a form of sound words. So Paul is writing of a form or a pattern of truth that you have learned. Hold on to it. Hold on to it and don't let it go. But it's a form of sound words. If you have a pattern, that is something that you want to duplicate. That is something that you want to do again. So you make a pattern. You make a form of something. And that is easy to continue even the next time. That is what we're trying to do with our faith. We are creating a form of doctrine, a pattern of doctrine and holiness and of Christian values. And this form we are passing on to that next generation. Listen, if you are a young man or woman in the Lord and, and you're in the church and you're thinking about all of this, understand that this form of sound words will one day be your responsibility to pass on. It's not, you know, how well are you entertaining the crowd. It's not about um, how accepted is your message. It's about holding fast that form of sound doctrine, those sound words. And it says, keep the good thing which was committed to you. What is that good thing? It's going back to doctrine. It's going back to that foundation that we have on the Word of God. It all boils down to this. What is your authority in life? Is your authority based on culture, on how accepted you are with the people at this very present time? Or are you talking about having a foundation that's built on, on the Bible, a biblical authority? You see, the two, they don't mesh. The two, they don't go together. We're told to protect, to keep, to teach, and create a pattern with the truth that we have received from God's Word. And that's what conservatism is all about. The word conservative follows the root word conserve. Okay, to conserve is to protect something of great importance from harm or destruction. Okay, a couple other definitions, to, pre, uh, to preserve, protect, maintain, to save, to safeguard, to keep, to take care of, to care for, to look after, to sustain, to keep intact. Listen, this describes what we need to be doing with our faith. We need to keep our faith intact because the world is pecking at it. The world is trying to, to desperately destroy the faith that is growing in our hearts. And the world would rather see us totally disregard it, and that is what's happening today. We're seeing young men and women just totally disregard their faith because they're looking for something more new, more modern, and something that's less offensive and less divisive. And they look at the Bible and they're like, man, I'm not sure if I want this. I'm not sure if I want this Jesus. Well, 
listen, we're, we are to be conservative in our faith. And I know as much as people don't like that word, that describes how we should be. We need to protect our faith, our values, our way of life, everything, the gospel, the Great Commission. It needs to be just held intact so that we can empower the next generation with it. Yes, publish the truth, preach the truth, but empower with the truth. These young men and women, it's not going to be their faith until they decide that this is true, that I want God to be my God, that they, that they stop looking at the Bible and these principles as just the view of their mom and dad. So listen, why create a pattern? We, we read about a pattern of truth, a pattern of biblical tradition. Well, because people are distorting the truth. The truth is under attack. We talked about how people are, are crying out saying, listen, you need to create your own truth. You need to live your truth. Well, God's people are told to continue in the truth, to continue with what they have been taught. Timothy was encouraged, again, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, a chapter after the one we just read, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verse 13 through 17. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So Timothy here is encouraged by Paul not to forsake the truth, not to forsake the things that he learned as a child. How many young men and women are just discarding the words from their parents because it's from their parents and they don't want to be under the shadow of their mom and dad. They, want, they don't want that old message that's connected with that older generation. They want something new. Many young people today are forsaking biblical truth th surrounding the gospel, daily sanctification, and even living that abundant Christian life because they have been told a lie. They've been told that the Bible is outdated that it's not relevant for today's challenges. They've been told that the church is antiquated, that it's a man-made construct used to maintain the patriarchy. They've been told that being conservative and looking at the Bible as a final authority is an idea from their parents' generation that's used just to keep them under their thumb. That it's about oppression. That it's about just conforming to the image that they're Parents want them to follow after. Listen, don't believe the lies that the world will tell you. Understand the Bible is relevant for every generation. The Bible transcends cultures. The message is 2,000 years old, but it has applied to every era in which it was preached. There is no time limit on God's word. It applies for all time, and it's for you, and it's good for you today. God's word does not change. God himself does not change. And that, my friend, is a very good thing. 
So why then do we have a generation that are seemingly turning away from God and they're turning away from the things they were taught? It's a good question, and it's one that Barna, the evangelical polling group, was asking back in 2022 with their global study that they took. Now, this was a giant undertaking. Uh, they, they basically were polling 25,000 teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17. This was taken in 26 countries with children or youth speaking 17 different languages. So it's a big study. And they were just simply asked about their faith, what they thought of God, and what they thought about his word. And they categorized everyone into three different classes. Number one, they have the Bible engaged. So those that were engaged in the Bible are those that think highly of God's word. They respect it. They look at it as an absolute authority with no mistakes and no errors. They get their personal identity in God, in their faith. They read the Bible daily. These are young people who are engaged in God's word. The category below that is Bible open. Teenagers who are open to the Bible, but they're neutral. They don't really read their Bible um, every once in a great while. They'll pick it up, but they're just neutral. They're not really for God, but neither are they against him. And then the category under that are the teenagers who are unengaged in the, in the Bible. So these are teenagers who are just apathetic towards God and the things of God. They're not reading the Bible at all, and they don't think too highly of it. And as we're going to see, it shows. So the questions that they were asked are, number one, do you believe the Bible teaches about living a meaningful life? So if you could look at the chart there, I might throw it up um, on the video, but if you're, if you're not able to look at the video, uh, there's a chart and it mentions a meaningful life. We're talking about meaningful. So basically, God has a plan for you. Do you believe God has a plan? Do you believe that there is significance when you read his word, when you are taking in the word of God? Do you believe that through his word that you can know that you, your life has meaning? This is a really big question, and it shows because those who are unengaged in the Bible, those who have disregarded the, the word of God, disregarded their faith, they said, sure, at 25%. Only 25% felt like the Bible taught about how they could have a meaningful life. Then those at 38% who were Bible open, they said, well, yeah, I mean, 38%. That, that's a very low number, almost as low as those who had totally abandoned their faith. Those who were just morally and spiritually neutral. And then at 84%, those who were engaged in the Word of God, uh, they, they believe it, they respect it, and it shows because they believe that this book that they're reading, it actually has an impact on their life, that it, it challenges them, that it edifies them, that it shows them their life indeed has meaning. The second question 
was, do you believe that the Bible teaches that you can understand your purpose in life? Your purpose. Of course, those who, who were you know, not engaged in the Word of God were at 23%. Those who were open at 36%. Those engaged in the Word of God, 84% again. 84% from 36 to 84. So what are we starting to see here? Well, when you take away the Bible from a young person's life, then you take away their faith. When you take away someone's respect for God's Word, someone's belief that God's Word has value, then you take away their belief in God, basically. And that is what we're seeing with these statistics. The last question, do you believe that the Bible teaches that you can live wisely in today's society? Now, this one's a tricky question because we're talking about wisdom, that you can live wisely. Well, now we're talking about morality. Who are you to judge what is wise or unwise, what is right and wrong? So the percentage is lower with the youth that are unengaged at 22% those who are open at 34, and then those engaged at 80%. And so across the board, we see that when a young man or woman believes the Bible is God's word, that they believe it is a final authority, that it has value in their life, that it is going to affect what they think about God, who he is to them, and how the Bible can affect them and, and what role it has in their life. That they, yes, they can have a meaningful life, that they can understand their purpose and live wisely in their society, that the Bible is still relevant. That's what we're talking about. So many, the percentage was staggering uh, with those who were engaged in the Word of God. So many of them they, they were like, yes, the Bible says everything that we claim. They believed it. It, it changed their life. But when you take away the Bible, when you, when you were dealing with those who were neutral and apathetic towards God, they're not really in the Word of God, they weren't reading the Bible at all, then we have a huge shift in these percentages. Huge shift. And so today, we have a generation that is not interested in doctrine. They're not interested in the Bible. They're interested in feeling good. They want to be successful. They want to be happy, but they don't want to please God. That's not their motive. They don't want to know God, to know Christ, but rather they want to live a good life. And I mean, everyone wants to live a good life, but we should want to live a good life that pleases the Lord. That needs to be our motive. We need to have the desire to conserve the traditions that the apostles passed down. We have what we have today. The Christianity that we enjoy today is because of the faithfulness of others that have, that have allowed it to continue. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Stand fast, the Bible says. Paul here is talking, saying, hold the traditions. Yes, we're talking about doctrine, but we're also talking about living the Christian life. 
living a, a sanctified life, a life that pleases God. If you are a young man or woman and you are reconsidering your faith, you're thinking about, is this true? Is it really relevant? Listen, can I encourage you to believe that the Bible, it still is true? And it's for you today. Believe that God speaks through his word. Believe that truth is not subjective and based on who you are and where you live and the circumstances around you. Truth is, is not relevant to your circumstances, but it's absolute. Truth is based on God's word. And if God's word is true, because it's either true or it's not, we can't have it both ways. If you believe that there is some validity to the Bible, well, is it, is it true or isn't it? So if it is, well, then base your life on it. Believe it. Believe that Jesus has a purpose for you, that there is meaning in your life, that he wants you to live the abundant life. He wants you to have that joy. Believe that the Bible is relevant, not just on matters of salvation, but on how you should live what kind of person that you should be, on uh, what you can do in your life to please the Lord. And then believe that it's your responsibility to continue in what you've been taught. Don't abandon the life principles and, and what, we, what we know and what we're holding on to within our Christian faith. Don't abandon those values simply because they are from your mom and dad. Don't abandon these traditions simply because it's what you learned when you were younger growing up. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which ye have received of us. So again, we have this tradition that we are to be continuing in. A tradition is a, a, an act or a belief that you want to carry on. Okay, in our, in our family, we have some Italian traditions. We love the Italian cheesecake. We love the meat sauce. We have the Matacera secret family recipe for meat sauce. And if I were to tell you, well, we'll just leave it there. We're not going to tell you. <laughs> we'll make it for you. We might not give you the recipe, but that's okay. But there's traditions. Traditions are a good thing. And we pass down these traditions through our family, different recipes and so on. But it should be the same thing with our faith. If we really believe in what we say we believe in, Jesus is Lord, and we, and we believe that he's God and that he's changed our life and that he wants us to live according to his word, then isn't that worth passing on. Now granted, as you are teaching your children, or as uh, even as a child, as a youth, you're receiving these lessons, a youth has to really believe it for themselves. As my fifth grade teacher once told me, um, was it Miss, Mrs. Hutchison? She said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And so truth must be accepted. You need to understand, you need to believe it yourself. But it has to be you who believes it. You need to accept it. You need to accept it as truth. Truth is accepted on an individual basis. 
you can't just have it accepted for you. Your mom, your dad, your pastor, people in your life, they cannot accept truth for you on your behalf. Everything that you do, everything that you believe, the things you talk about, you carry on in what you believe is true. And that's going to reflect as well what you believe about the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 4, 4, or 4, 1 through 4, the Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So the solution, listen, preach the word, believe the word, and preach it. Preach it regardless of whether there's fruit or no fruit. Um, when we look at the stability of the church, it has always been connected with their belief and action on the word of God in connection to God's word. How active are they in living God's word? How active are they in preaching God's word? And that usually indicates the health and the stability of the church during that era. And today we're seeing a shift away from doctrine where people are not interested as much in um, doctrinal truth as they are in, I just want a good life. Listen, we need to preach the truth regardless of how people receive the message, regardless of its perceived cultural significance, because the truth is under attack. Unlike ever before, the truth is under attack, and Jesus is coming soon. He's coming back any day, any time, and the question is, are you ready? We need to preach and to let our words flow from a life that is committed and consistent to the faith that we profess. If we're Christians, let's live like Christians. Let's let our light, our light shine before men, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Following Jesus has never been the popular thing to do. Christians throughout the ages have been opposed, persecuted, even killed for their faith. It's not a new thing. And that time will come again. And I think it's hard as well for the younger generation in the church because they want to be accepted. They don't want to be looked at as rebels in today's society. They want to be accepted for who they are and their contributions to society. And when the world looks at us, with our faith that is countering their cultural uh, just understanding of life and how they know and how they operate and how they perceive their own significance, they get their meaning with their success and their accomplishments. We get our meaning from our acceptance with God and God's will in our life. We need to make the choice. Are we wanting to please God or are we wanting acceptance with the world? Because we can't have both. We need to pick a side. We need to understand God is there and he wants us to, to follow him. He says, follow me.
to be, to be my disciple. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And the world, likewise, is calling us to be their disciple. The world wants us to follow and to conform to them, to their image. And God wants us to be transformed to his image. And so if we are going to follow Christ, be transformed. Know that you are a new creature, that old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new, and that we don't need to assimilate and to be like everyone else. We don't need to be accepted by this world. We don't need to find our confidence in how the world thinks about us. The world has never thought highly about Christians or about Christianity or about the Word of God. In fact, when Jesus himself was on this earth, they hated him. And the Bible says they're going to hate us too. And that's how it's going to be. There's no way around it. And so if we have to make a choice, choose to please the Lord. Live a life that pleases God. And Christian, who is living for the Lord already, choose to protect what we have and pass that along to the next generation. Live in a way so that the next generation wants what we have. Because if we have the truth, but we're not living a, cons a consistent life, well, then we have empty words. And those, those behind us are going to look at our life and say, why would I want what they have when they're living like the devil, but professing to know Christ? Be consistent, be committed, but pick a side and safe keep the gospel that has been entrusted to you. Because we have one chance. This is it. There's no redo. There's no, you know, you get to play again. It's not, it's game over. When this life is over, then that is it. You have one shot, one chance, one life to live for him. So give it your best. Give it your all. You will not have any regrets. The only regret that we're going to have 100 years from now, when this life is over and we are with God, the only regret that we are going to have is that we're going to wish we could have done more. So let, not, let, let that not be your regret. And let's do all that we can right here and right now. Let's conserve the truth. Let's publish it. Let's preach it. But let's conserve it. Let's safe keep it for those that are waiting behind us, those that are following us. Let's show them what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live a life that pleases the Lord. And so as we talk about the Great Commission and we look at this topic, this is a very personal topic. It's something that applies to you, but it's only going to make a difference if you allow it to. So make that decision that you're going to get involved, that you're going to be active in your faith. Find someone that you're going to talk to. Write their name down, but find someone. It could be a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, maybe even a complete stranger. But find someone. Pray for someone. Pray for an opportunity to share your faith. And then while you're at it, encourage the believers around you that we are indeed on the winning side. That yes, times are going to get tough, and there will be times of discouragement, but Jesus is watching. God is watching us, and he is pleased 
as we live our life for him. He is pleased as we bring others to his saving knowledge. So be encouraged and be active. Go out and do something for the Lord. So I pray that you were blessed as we talk about the Great Commission, that you were encouraged, uh, that we can take these words to heart and go do something and to take action. It's like the choir here in Zambia. They usually start it and they go, one, two, three, action. <laughs> well, it's time for action and let's get out there and get the job done. So thank you again for tuning in. Um, we love it when you, when you listen, when you participate, when you write in. Uh, and so please interact with the podcast. Let us know what you think and what your thoughts are on this topic as we look at the Great Commission and other matters around it. Uh, but we have such an amazing life to live as Christians, as believers, and these are exciting times. So much is happening around the world and even in our own country. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of ground to cover. And so we all have to do our part. I mean, the regions beyond, they're there and they're waiting. We need more people to join us here in Zambia, Africa. We're always wanting more people to join Team Hope. But at the same time, we recognize we need the gospel to be spread across the United States. We need believers to be the light and salt of the earth right there in our home country. We need to make uh, disciples of all nations, and that starts right where you live. So do your part. Do your part and please the Lord. So as we move forward, you can learn more about who we are uh, at Hope Zambia here at our Let's Talk Missions podcast uh, by going to our website at hopezambia.com. We also have a Facebook page. Uh, we're on Instagram. But we have many platforms in which you can follow us as we continue the mission to spread the gospel around the world. But again, I'm going to say it again. Uh, let us know who you are, where you're, where you're listening from. We want to hear from you. So until then, have a great day. Lord bless and let's be committed to the mission. Take care, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.